Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining the Challenge America show. Um, unfortunately, our star guest, Mr. Philip Carter, ran into some technical difficulties at the last minute and won't be able to join us for the show today. Uh, but I want to push ahead anyway. The show must go on and talk about his important article, Charting the Sea of Goodwill, um, because it offers up a lot of really important insights for the veteran-related nonprofit sector in general. And he offers some somewhat provocative suggestions for the sector and its um, best uh, strategies for moving forward. So I want to talk about some of those things and hopefully we'll get some audience participation as we go along. Um, but let's start off by just talking about the background of the article. Now this article um, built on an article that came out or was published by uh, the Joint Chiefs of Staff uh, called The Sea of Goodwill, Matching the Donor to the Need. And the Sea of Goodwill triggered a lot of conversation in the veteran-related nonprofit community at large, mainly because it shed a light on the degree of fragmentation among uh, veteran-related nonprofits and called upon those nonprofits not to just coordinate their activities, but to integrate their activities. Uh, so basically what the Joint Chiefs said, uh, looking at the nonprofit sector, really from like a, a, a 20,000 foot view, you know, really a broad overview of the nonprofit sector. Basically what the Joint Chiefs said was that there's a need for nonprofits to do more, to work together and offer more um, holistic services to uh, to veterans and military families. Um, and what what Mr. Carter's work did, uh, and Mr. Carter was the co-author along with Catherine Kidder uh, of this report, uh, Charting the Sea of Goodwill. What he did really was he drilled down into the data uh, to offer a more microscopic view of the veteran-related nonprofit sector and give us a, a really more robust analysis of this sector, uh, specifically as it, as it relates to, pertains to uh, philanthropy um, and, and the size of most of the nonprofits that make up the sector. Um, so what Mr. Carter and, and Mrs. Uh, Ms. Kidder did actually was they, they really just asked a, a question broadly that's very similar to the question that was asked by the Joint Chiefs, which is simply, you know, what is the state of philanthropy as it relates to veteran-related nonprofits? Um, and what they came up with, and I'll just start with this because this is the way their, their research unfolded as well, was they came up with really a, a few key findings. One of the findings is that as it relates, as a, as a segment of all nonprofit activity, veteran-related nonprofits makes up just a very small portion of this. So uh, really veteran-related nonprofits, according to Mr. Carter and Ms. Kidder, uh, make up just about 3% of all nonprofits in the United States. So this is a very small portion of the nonprofit sec sector, pardon me. Um, secondly, they argued that revenue for this segment of the nonprofit sector is, has remained constant over recent years. 
uh, which raises some, some challenges, as we'll get to in a few minutes. Um, third, they argued that the sector as a whole is in a state of decline. The sector more or less peaked right around 2012. Uh, there was a big buildup after 9-11, and right around 2012, the sector started to go into decline, and, meaning that the number of nonprofits that make up the sector started to diminish, uh, which raises some interesting questions as well. Um, in addition, they argue that government funding for the sector has actually increased over time, but that philanthropy, meaning donors, uh, private sector donors to the sector have been in decline. Uh, even though there's there's greater awareness, perhaps, uh, more than any time in, in U.S. history uh, of the need to support veterans and military families, private sector donations to uh, veteran-related nonprofits is actually in a state of decline, which is interesting, too. Um, the authors argue as well that there's been a divergence between the needs of military families and the resources available to them. And this holds true even in the nonprofit sector. So we'll dig into that a bit. Uh, and they found as well that the nonprofit sector, the veteran-related nonprofit sector, needs to develop new pools of resources, uh, both from government sources uh, and from private sources as well. And finally, the authors argue that there needs to be a better understanding of what qualifies as success and performance outcomes for this sector. So to kind of break this argument down and dig into some of the data, um, the authors note that VA funding has really ballooned over the last 10 to 15 years. So that now the VA budget as of 2015 was around $163.9 billion, billion with a B. And that's an increase of 140% since 2002. Now, 60 billion of this uh, sum goes to medical expenses. So what most of us think of when we think of the VA, uh, medical hospitals, VA hospitals, that sort of thing. Um, and $90 billion goes to benefits. So the GI Bill, disability payments, that sort of thing. Uh, but it's clear from this that the VA has played a much more prominent role in the last 10 to 15 years in terms of funding uh, veterans, uh, providing greater levels of veteran assistance, at least in terms of its budget. Now, I know this is very contentious and there's a lot of debate about the VA and how effective it actually is, but the VA has, in fact, received a larger budget over time. Uh, and some of that money has flowed to the nonprofit sector. At the same time, there's been a rising demand for services, uh, both from older veterans going all the way back to World War II, uh, Korea, Vietnam, um, and from younger veterans as well, many of whom are returning home and, and more likely than their predecessors to go and seek services from the VA. So the VA is been, has been getting hit with ever-rising demand for services. And oftentimes it's just simply not able to meet all that demand, and that's really where the nonprofit sector uh, can step in, both as an innovator and as a provider. So uh, the nonprofit sector plays a very critical role. 
So who really has not been covered uh, by the VA? Really, you know, 25% of military uh, veterans, when they, at the moment of separation from service, uh, were considered to have separated or been discharged with bad paper, which just means that they were discharged with some designation that's less than honorable, which in most cases disqualifies them for VA benefits and VA services. So this cohort uh, really needs services that the VA simply can't or, or will not provide to them because of the terms of their discharge. Um, in addition, uh, veterans, in fact, I kind of fall in this category. I'm a veteran, but I, I didn't serve for a long enough period of time on active duty to qualify for VA benefits. And there's a large cohort of veterans who fall into this category. And finally, family members. While there are some benefits that extend to family members of injured or, or killed, um, in most cases, family members uh, receive very little benefit from the VA and yet endure significant hardship during the period of, of uh, active service uh, that kind of carries along with them and, and imposes significant burdens well after the moment of separation. So family members also need services, um, but yet the VA often doesn't offer many services to them. So where does that leave us? Uh, well, that really leaves us with a nonprofit sector that's really in a state of decline and seeing a shrinking pool of resources, specifically from the private sector. And every, every analyst who looks at this says that government funding for veterans and, and military families has to shrink at some point, that the rate of increase from uh, federal funding for veterans and military families has to uh, slow at some point. So uh, nonprofits are facing declines from the private sector and they're looking down the road and they're seeing declining uh, revenues coming from the, the government sector as well. And state and local level funding for uh, veteran related issues is very, very low. So this is one area where nonprofits can perhaps see a boost in the future. But right now, uh, given the hardships that states and, and local governments continue to face uh, as a result of the, the recession, it, it seems uncertain that we'll see a significant increase in state and local funding for veteran-related issues at any time in the near future. So basically what the authors provide us is a very dark view of the future for veteran-related nonprofits, particularly as it regards philanthropy um, and government support for their activities. Uh, so how many veteran-related nonprofits are there? Well, the, the authors drilled into the IRS data on this, and the IRS tracks the, the number of nonprofits and the types of nonprofits out there. And what they came up with was a number, it's a little uncertain, but they said there are around 42,000 veteran-related nonprofits in the country. Now you have to take this, this finding with a bit of a grain of salt because many of the veteran-related nonprofits that are out there are 
large national organizations with local chapters. So for example, the, the DAV or the VFW or the USO uh, would all be captured uh, under this number. So in fact, some 70% of veteran-related nonprofits fall into that category, that category of national organizations with local chapters. So really we're looking at a much smaller number than it seems on the surface. But still, uh, we're talking about a large number of veteran-related nonprofits in the country, over 42,000 of them in all. Uh, these veteran-related nonprofits, according to the authors, bring in or brought in $2.7 billion worth of revenue in 2015. And that now constitutes uh, just 0.1 to 0.2% of all philanthropic assets for nonprofits as a whole. So even though veteran-related nonprofits make up 3% of all nonprofits in the United States, uh, they actually lay claim to just 0.1 to 0.2% of actually, yeah, so 0.1 to 0.2% of all the revenues that flow into philanthropic revenues that flow into nonprofits. So, you know, this is a sector that, that doesn't do as well, surprisingly, as many other nonprofit sectors. Um, and in fact, you know, this, this finding kind of echoes another finding, uh, the author's report, which is that most of the nonprofits that they investigated, actually some 70%, bring in less than $100,000 in revenue a year. So many of these nonprofits are local, small-scale nonprofits, uh, very few uh, bringing revenues exceeding $100,000 and fewer still exceeding a million dollars a year. So we're talking about a large pool of small nonprofits that are really, you know, just kind of struggling to get by year after year. Um, okay. Uh, so we've talked a little bit about veteran-related uh, revenues and how those revenues are shrinking over time. Uh, and what the authors note, although they didn't really provide any evidence to support this conclusion, they, they suggest that this decline has been triggered both by a decline in the size of military forces in recent years, and that coincides as well with a decline in philanthropic revenues flowing to uh, veteran-related nonprofits. And so they presume that this decline has manifested in the form of consolidation, that there are nonprofits that are merging together and joining forces as a way to survive, perhaps. But they don't really provide any concrete evidence to support this conclusion. Um, and it's interesting to note that, again, that this decline in philanthropic uh, donation or activity for veteran-related nonprofits has coincided with an increase in federal spending and federal grant-making to uh, veteran-related nonprofits. Although here we can assume that the, the bulk of these um, federal dollars are flowing to the big national organizations and not so much to the, the small you know, local organizations getting by on 100,000 or less a year. 
And then the authors go on uh, to really highlight again their, their two core questions. And one of the core questions was, how does the, what does the landscape of veteran-related nonprofits actually look like? And their second core question was, how does federal funding shape uh, this sector? And they didn't really provide a, a conclusive answer to the second question. But I think the answer they provide to the first question is, is really stunning which is that this is a sector that's in decline, that's facing a, a shrinking pool of revenues. And consequently, really what their, their report provides us is a call to action. It's basically saying, look, you know, veteran-related nonprofits, you need to come up with new innovative strategies moving forward if you hope to survive because simply relying on the old strategies of annual appeals and you know uh golf events and and mailings and that kind of thing isn't going to enable you uh, to survive as you move forward you're going to have to be more innovative more creative in coming up with the revenue you need to provide the services you do to uh to veterans so their conclusions really uh, highlight a few key issues. One, they conclude that veteran-related nonprofits, given the amount of money flowing out of the federal government and the consolidation they think they see in this sector, uh, they conclude that some, although certainly not all, some veteran-related nonprofits are building up war chests that they're, they're hoarding some of their cash, they're putting it aside. And maybe this, perhaps, even though the, veteran, uh, the, the authors don't uh, reach this conclusion, or make this assumption. Uh, perhaps this is a result of the recession or the lessons learned in the recession that you need to save up for a rainy day kind of thing. Um, but uh, it may also, if, if the authors are right, might have something to do with the consolidation. Maybe there's savings uh, associated with merging uh, organizations, although I personally haven't witnessed any of this. Um, um, in addition, they, they note that the needs of veterans and military families has continued to grow, uh, that those needs are more diverse and larger than ever. Uh, so it's interesting, perhaps, that, that some veteran-related nonprofits are building up these war chests, even as the needs for uh, or the needs by military families are continuing to increase, which raises, I think, some really interesting questions as well. Um, but overall, the authors note that they're really dim prospects for the future of veteran-related nonprofits. And then they offer, they go on, this is where it gets really controversial, at least in my view. Uh, they go on to offer some suggestions for overcoming these challenges. And one of their key suggestions is to adopt uh, an impact investing kind of strategy. So they suggest that veteran-related nonprofits look into social impact bonds, into donor-advised funds, into pay-for-success type models of funding, uh, rather than relying on old uh, philanthropic models that, that rest almost solely on donations. They're, they suggest that veteran-related nonprofits look increasingly to um, impact investing as a strategy for moving forward. And then in addition, they call on veteran-related nonprofits to professionalize. They call on veteran-related nonprofits to improve their, their data gathering, their data analysis, and move from their old ideas about just relying on you know, numbers of veterans served, for example, as proof of their effectiveness uh, 
to moving increasingly to looking at impact. So they're really buying into this impact model. They think that this offers some, some hope for veteran-related nonprofits moving forward in terms of funding and attracting additional uh, donor dollars. Um, and really what they're calling on veteran-related nonprofits to do is to harvest more statistically significant uh, proof of their outcomes and their impacts uh, over the long term. And so I really kind of want to spend just the last couple minutes here of my time just talking about some of their conclusions and their, their proposals for moving forward. So first of all, with the, the focus on impact and investing, um, it's although that's a very interesting proposition, um, there are lots of problems with impact investing. There's been a lot of criticism about impact investing. Uh, so for example, impact investing very often offers very little benefit for people who are poor, uh, the truly poor. And many of us who work in uh, this community or work with this community on a day-to-day -day basis understand that many of the military families we're working with are working with because they've fallen on hard times, because they're, they, they have very few economic resources. So the, the notion that we can use an investment model to help these, these folks out uh, really doesn't seem to, to really gain any traction with many of the people who work in this space. Um, so that's very difficult. The other real danger of impact investing is that it tends to, threatens at least, to shift the focus of nonprofits away from focusing on the needs of donors to the, the demands, or rather, pardon me, rather than focusing on the needs of, of their participants, to focus instead on the wishes of their donors. And so there's a real threat here, a mission drift, that uh, the nonprofits who engage in impact investing might increasingly uh, be more and more inclined over time to follow the interests of donors rather than the needs of the people they intend to serve. And this could be really problematic as well. So there are lots of lots of criticisms uh, out there about impact investing. So it's not just as clear cut of a solution as the authors suggest. Um, the second issue I thought uh, was interesting was their proposition about professionalization. Now, certainly, this is something that's not new. People have been talking about professionalizing the nonprofit sector for a hundred years. Um, so really, that's that's not a new suggestion. Um, but there's a cost to this, right? I mean, as you have a more professional staff, as you move away from volunteers to people who are professionally trained to do in-depth, detailed statistical analysis of the kind they're talking about, um, that requires a higher degree of pay, particularly right now as the unemployment rate is shrinking. So now we're down to, what, 4.7%, 4.9%. We're under 5% unemployment in any case. Uh, and in fact, we're seeing more and more articles. I just saw one yesterday in the New York Times about how employers are now finding it so difficult to, to uh, attract and, and, uh, new employees that they're, they're finding it hard to find employees now that can pass a basic drug screening. Uh, so the, the labor market's contracting. And that means that presumably the cost of labor will start to go up. Uh, although there haven't been many indications of that recently, uh, but we might assume this is a lagging indicator. So we might assume that the cost of labor is going to go up over time. And those people with those high value skills, like uh, the ability to do 
detailed statistical analysis of this type are, are going to come into higher demand, which means they'll be able to charge more uh, for their services. So it's very difficult for nonprofits, who many of whom, as the authors already note, are working on very small budgets of less than 100,000 a year, over 70% or around 70% of veteran millennium profits fall into this category. Uh, it's going to be very difficult for those nonprofits to, to be able to balance the, the pressures placed on them by donors to keep their overhead low at the same time that authors uh, such as these are suggesting they go out and hire or bring in uh, more professional staff or perhaps train their staff that they already have with the skill set. So, you know, some of these suggestions that they're throwing out, even though they, they uh, don't really spend a lot of time fleshing these issues out, I think they, they raise sometimes more questions than they answer. Um, but even still, uh, I think it's, it's an article that's worth reading. Uh, there's a lot of value to it. They offer some very rich, detailed uh, analysis of the veteran-related nonprofit sector that everyone who works in this sector should be aware of. Um, and so I very highly recommend it. I think it's a, a great follow-up on the sea of goodwill that was offered up by the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Uh, if for no other reason that offers a more detailed analysis. Um, and they don't uh, push the same kinds of uh, coordination, integration kinds of approaches necessarily that uh, the Joint Chiefs did. Although I think there is some uh, some cause for thinking this way, and I think there could be some benefits to pursuing that that line of thought. Um, you know, as someone who, who works on this problem on a daily basis, I can tell you that it's it's not as simple as saying that you know nonprofits should coordinate more effectively and perhaps integrate into an overarching structure. Um, you know, nonprofits like every entity out there. Uh, are very territorial uh, and there are significant transaction costs in building these relationships uh, with other nonprofits and, and other entities that are very difficult to overcome. So it's, it's not as simple as it sounds on the surface. I think it may be possible still, um, but it's not quite as easy as, as maybe these authors uh, suggest. So uh, that uh, pretty much we didn't have any any viewers this time, uh, which is a shame. I was hoping to have some more audience participation, but uh, you know, I, if you watch this later, I really appreciate your time, and and I really do hope you check out um, charting the scene of goodwill. It's a great article. It's a great read. Um, it's short, very to the point. Lots of really um, uh, well placed. Uh, graphs uh, that illustrate some of the key points in the article. I think the authors did a great job. Um, and I think it offers a great example or a, a great uh, foundation for moving forward. Uh, so thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I look forward to uh, hopefully having you join us next week. Uh, we do this every Thursday as long as Blab is on the air. Uh, we do this every Thursday at 2 p.m. and Hopefully we'll have a, a guest with us next time. Uh, so thanks again for joining us and have a wonderful week. Thanks.